News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Macias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change that our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome to episode 11 of the Luke Messiah Show. Guys, uh, I would ask you to bear with me because the oak pollen is absolutely killing me the last three or four days. I have literally not been able to sleep and I can hardly breathe, but I need uh, to get this episode out. So we're going we're gonna to cut um, our intro here um, this morning. Guys, um, I was really blessed to get Rachel Malone on. She works with Gun Owners of America. More importantly, you know, 10 years ago, she was uh, hardly involved in the process and hardly involved in, in even owning a weapon. Um, and at this point is one of the leading Second Amendment activists in our state. Her story is a compelling one and one that I hope each and every one of you will listen to because you'll learn just how easy it is to make a big impact in a policy area that you're really concerned about. Um so get to that. Uh, one thing you might not know is that constitutional carry is dead. It has been proclaimed dead really by two people. Jonathan Sticklin removed his hearing request saying that he was not going to play any theater and give gun activists a hope that their legislation would pass. And also, um, Dennis Bonnet came out publicly and said that he opposes the legislation, that he is not in support of the policy. In fact, he... Um, tried to make some insinuation that it would give criminals guns and things like that. An embarrassing thing to uh, note is that if you walk out of the Texas border, you can actually get all the way to Canada under constitutional carry states. So, um, and one of the things Rachel pointed out is I think when, when Texas actually passed its open carry law, we were like the 43rd or 45th state to do so. Um, though Texans have a lot of guns, it doesn't mean... Uh, our lawmakers promote the Second Amendment or defend the Second Amendment as much as other states. And so Rachel really brought a lot of that to light. I hope each and every one of you take time to hear her story. Um, thank you so much for listening. There's a lot going on in the Capitol right now, guys. Um, even as I record this, it's Monday. The abolition to abortion bill is being heard. You know, Republicans um, have seemingly decided that they don't want to protect any more children. You have the abolition bill, the heartbeat bill, and Prenda, the Preborn Non-Discrimination Act, all of which would protect children who are currently not protected by law, and none of which are moving through the process right now. Um, this is important for pro-lifers to reach out to their lawmakers and make it clear that they don't just want window dressing laws. They want laws that further protect unborn children who are currently not recognized as human beings under current law. Um, so reach out to them. Also, you're going to definitely want to keep your eyes peeled for a move that is afoot in the legislature to raise taxes in an effort to uh, increase property tax relief. And I want to get straight to our interview, so I won't bog y'all down too much, but I'll probably be bringing some more information to light to y'all over the next week. But here's what you need to know. Um, lawmakers spent too much money, and they haven't officially spent it yet, but the appropriators were not on board with providing property tax payers uh, meaningful property tax relief. And so as a result, um, those appropriators spent all the money. And in fact, even in their budget, um, they really want your property taxes, especially on the school side, to go up more than 2.5%, more than 3%. 
And so we're now in a situation where it's very difficult for them to actually cap property taxes, which they need to do, and they don't have the money to give you. Now, when I say they don't have the money, it's there. It's in the account. They have a more than enough money to give you meaningful property tax relief, but they have plans for it. They have other government that they think needs to grow um, before your pocketbook gets a little bit of relief. And so now they are starting to hatch a new plan that would have them raising taxes and then the sales tax and then giving most of that back to y'all in the form of buying down your property tax relief. I want you to think about that. They've already spent all the money they have, which included a surplus coming into the session, uh, 40% of the savings account, and almost all of the very very generous um, revenue estimate that Glenn Hager gave them. And now they're saying, well, we need to raise taxes and then give some of that back to y'all in the form of tax relief. It's pretty crazy. It is a testimony to um, what happens when good conservatives don't engage further in the process. And so I want to encourage each and every one of you to keep your eyes peeled this week and next week on this and be ready to reach out to your lawmaker and make it clear that if they raise taxes, you're going to hold them accountable. So thank you so much, guys. And with that, let's get straight to the interview with Rachel Malone. Guys, today's show is sponsored by Direct Action Texas. You can visit them at directactiontx.com. Direct Action Texas is a political advocacy organization in the DFW area. They focus on four main areas, uh, government transparency, government ethics, public debt, civil liberties. They have a single mission. It's to help the grassroots take action in changing local government. On top of that, they have become the premier organization, the leading voice when it comes to uh, voter fraud, election fraud, voter integrity. Um, Daniel Greer is their new executive director, and he is doing work in the Capitol. He's doing work um, in the grassroots, writing about researching voter fraud all across the state of Texas, election fraud that we are dealing with here in our in our state. We need that organization actively involved. If you want to be engaged in what they're doing, if you want to be informed as to what they're being involved in, go to directactiontx.com, directactiontx.com, sign up to be on their email list, make a small donation, support the efforts they're doing. It's well worth your time. It's well worth your effort. I would greatly encourage you to check them out. Welcome to the Luke Macias Show. This is uh, Luke Macias with my guest uh, for the hour, Rachel Malone, who works at Gun Owners of America. Rachel, thank you so much for agreeing to sit down and, and talk to us today. Absolutely. Thank you. It's great to be here. So my goal in today's conversation is to have kind of an all-encompassing conversation about the Second Amendment and Texas. There's probably a lot of things that Texans don't know about our gun laws. Um, I like when I speak at Republican clubs and conservative groups across the state. Um, you know, I always talk about how we love to think of ourselves as this model for the nation. But when it comes to certain things like, I don't know, your Second Amendment, we really aren't even good at following other states' lead, right? I mean, other states exactly. have led on this issue and we haven't even followed in their footsteps. Exactly. If anything, we're digging our heels in seemingly when it comes to the Second Amendment issue. So I want to kind of broad brush the Second Amendment issue, and we'll have a couple things to talk about because we're in the middle of a legislative session. I want to get your expert uh, you know, ideas and, and thoughts on, on some of the things we're currently dealing with. But with that said, can you just kind of start with your background, where you come from, whether you grew up around politics or this was something that you came to at a later time, what, and then what kind of brought about the gun issue as the top issue for you? Sure, sure. So I actually, I grew up in the Austin area. I've lived in Austin area all my life. Okay. I'm like a lot of people in Austin. Um, and 
I grew up in political circles. My family was very politically involved. We were very conservative. Okay. So I believed in all the conservative issues. I never, ever had a point where I turned my back on them and became a liberal. I was always conservative. I block walked for Republicans when I was five. Okay. I was leadership in Republican women's clubs when I was 13, or when I was, sorry, when I was a teenager. I was actually elected a delegate to the Republican state convention the very first time I was old enough to vote in mm-hmm. a primary. So you would think I'd be a gun person, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So when I was... Uh, about 10 years ago, when I was 30, uh, 22, 23, somewhere around there, my brother announced that he was going to get his license to carry. I completely flipped out. I didn't know why anybody would want to carry a gun, why they should carry a gun, and I made up some facts that I thought I'd heard in the media about how it's always stupid and dangerous to carry a gun. It's going to blow up on you. There's no way you ever need it. We live in a safe society. Even if somehow you were attacked, a gun is just never a useful tool. And in reality, I was terrified for his life because everything I thought I knew about guns was that they were dangerous and mm-hmm. there's no valid reason to have one as a tool. And I, all I wanted is to save my brother's life. And how old were you at this point? I was early 20s, 22, okay, 23. So I was no longer uh, deeply involved in politics, but I still believed in conservative principles. But, but the problem is I didn't know anything about guns and I didn't know anything about liberty. And conservatism is very different than understanding the principles of liberty, you know, the mm-hmm. reasons why we, we should want the, princ- want the issues to happen mm-hmm. the way that we should. So he challenged me to go find evidence and uh, back up the things that I was saying, mm-hmm. and I vowed that I was going to do so, and I was going to change his mind to save his life. And I came back probably a couple weeks later and knocked on his door and I had one question, uh, how do I get my license to carry? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because the facts just completely changed my mind. I was, I was willing to look at them, even though I was trying to find things to back up what I thought was true. They were just con- absolutely conclusive. Mm. And so I actually got my license and started carrying a gun a few months later and never looked back. And that was about 10 years ago. So uh, I want to ask about guns in your family growing up, because I don't know if you and I have a similar upbringing, but um, I actually grew up in a home without any guns. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, it sounds similar right. to your situation. So we weren't anti-gun. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't grow up hearing this rhetoric that guns are evil, but my, my mom grew up in California and didn't have a background mm-hmm. with guns. But my parents, I don't remember any statements against guns, yep. but we just never knew anything about them. I never yep. saw a gun or touched a gun until I was in my early 20s. And it's not, I, I, I don't really see it as some major criticism of my parents' parenting. I mean, in, yeah. in, in all honesty, I, I think we had a great upbringing, but uh, it was it was not something that we had in our home. We were a military family. My dad handled a lot of weapons. He's fired a mm-hmm. lot of weapons. He's actually a, a pretty good shot if you talk to any of his colleagues during his time in the military. So, I mean, this is not a, a problem for him. Uh, it just wasn't something in our home. And so it wasn't something that we grew up actively participating in exactly. and actively being around. And we shot shotguns at skeet shoots and other things like that. So it wasn't like we never handled guns, but it was similar, I guess, to your situation where it wasn't something we were around, therefore it wasn't something we were educated about. Exactly. It it wasn't a topic. Therefore, the little tiny bit that I thought I heard in the media, well, that I did hear that was wrong, that's all that I knew. That's all that I had to go on. What was your first gun you bought? 
So let's not talk about the first gun that I okay. bought. <laughs> it was it was a handgun um, that it, it it was not bad, um, and and it was it was a it was a fine handgun for a, for a first handgun purchase. Yes. But later I moved to carrying a Springfield XD. Got it. And carried that for a while, and yep. and now I'm a little more of a Glock fan, but I still I still like XDs too. So I'm not one or the other. Got it. Got it. But but yeah, it was it was a completely. It was a complete 180, honestly, yeah. on on the issue. Uh, just looking at the facts and realizing guns, carrying a gun makes me safer. Interestingly enough, I was still terrified of guns, hmm. probably for a year or two after I started carrying one. I mean, I, I had enough training; I was proficient. Mm-hmm. But emotionally, I wasn't there. I was terrified, but yep. I was more terrified not to carry a gun because now yep. I realize this is what actually keeps me safe. You yep. know, it's not it's not the feeling of being safe that I'm after. It's actually being safe and being protected. So, so w- what was that evolution? I mean, from from getting your first gun, getting your license to ten years later being probably much more proficient than the average exactly. Texan, e- even the average Texan, right? Who, who ho- most people would probably say are more proficient than the average American, right? So that puts you in the upper echelon of the upper eff- right. echelon of the upper echelon of competency around firearms. What, what was that like? And how did that kind of evolve? I was very fortunate to be connected with several groups of folks who are just, who are great folks who helped mentor me in understanding firearms. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of females have, have, uh, given horror stories about being talked down to and mm-hmm. treated like they don't, they can't handle the guns by themselves. I never personally experienced that. And I'm very blessed to have, have been in, in groups, including I'll, I'll mention a few, um, Appleseed. If you're familiar with the right. Appleseed project, yep. um, it's more, it's, it's rifle instruction, but a lot of those same, uh, those same guys who taught me how to shoot rifles and how to instruct also mentored me and helped me understand pistols and how to shoot handguns and how to carry safely. And, and just the mentality of why we carry a gun and we, we do this to save lives and we do this to preserve liberty. And they're the ones who really instilled in me that understanding of liberty as mm-hmm. well as a practical understanding of carrying a gun and the encouragement. And they they, they were awesome. And I, I still know them and they're, I treat them as friends and colleagues. And I, I look back to that as what, what cemented in me um, the, the knowledge that, yes, I can carry a gun, I can be competent, and this can save my life. So when did you go from somebody who was becoming more proficient in guns to somebody who now enters the role of second amendment activist. Like what was that? What was, what, what spurred on that action? So I, I have the same brother to blame for that. So all of this went How down. How many siblings do you have? Do you mind me asking? Uh, four brothers, four sisters. Okay. There you go. Yes. Okay, so well, I've got six siblings. My wife so. has nine. So yeah, there you we're, go. we're yeah. in the, we're in the same ballpark. Right. Exactly. Okay. So, uh, a couple of years after I started carrying a gun, it was 2011. So I've been concealed carrying, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to make sure my shirt always covers my gun because I don't want to go to jail, right? Because just for the fact that my shirt's on the wrong side of my gun, because that would be stupid. And so my brother tells me there's this bill, because I think I'm probably complaining about I have to always wear baggy clothes. And mm-hmm. he's like, well, there's actually this bill moving in the legislature that would allow open carry, which means if you have a license, you don't actually have to hide your gun. Your shirt can be on the other side without you going to jail. I'm like, okay, that's that's reasonable. That sounds yeah. common sense. I'm sure all the gun nuts, all the political nuts, they're gonna go do their job and make sure this happens. Mm-hmm. And I vowed, I, you know, I'd, I'd been deeply involved in politics. I was never, I was not any more interested. I was still gonna vote and still maybe gonna do a little work. But hey, I wasn't gonna go and fight for these issues. But I was gonna let all the political nuts and all the gun nuts do their job. And so I 
didn't really track it. And then the very last day of session, this is literally 11th hour, 11 o'clock PM, last day of session. I kind of asked my brother, um, Hey, you know, where, where is that bill? What's happening with it? And he mentioned it. I believe it was stuck in what was called the calendars committee, which I never heard of. And he explained to me the way this works. And I figured surely, surely no other Texan even knows what the calendars committee is, or they wouldn't allow this to happen because it sounded yeah. atrocious. And so I figured I was going to be that hero who made all the right phone calls, 11 PM, the night session and, to make sure that bill moved out of calendars and got passed on the yep. floor. Because I just thought I could do it, yeah. you know? And I made the phone calls and I only got answering machines and woke up the next morning and I realized it had died. And my, my brother kind of kind of uh, uh, goaded me a little bit. He's like, well, why are you complaining? Because you didn't do anything about it. And I looked back, I said, fine, I'm going to go and make sure this bill passes. I will do whatever it takes to pass this bill. And that's what started it. It was a and dare. Do you remember what session that was? Yes, that was uh, that was 2011. So that would be okay, 82nd yeah. session, mm-hmm. I believe. Got mm-hmm. it. Got it. So the 82nd session that happens, and then what? What does your activism look like from that day going in? To the next session. So before next session starts, did you do much I did. on the campaign trail with candidates or what, what did that so look like? Not, I didn't actually get involved in the campaign trail, <clears throat> but, but come 2012, uh, I actually went again as a delegate to the Republican state convention yep. because that was just in my head of, hey, this is something that you can do to get yep. involved. I knew I needed to connect with other people who knew yep. how to do stuff. That, that was that was the vague mm-hmm. nebulous idea in my mind. So I went and I actually was able to connect with some folks, came back um, and attended a couple of Republican club meetings or it wasn't even Republican, just just Liberty Group club meetings. And they told me the legislative process. They yep. taught me what it takes to pass a bill. They taught me how to use TLO. And most importantly, they told me the importance of showing up for the committee hearings yep. and testifying in those because and I, this was this was this meshed with my experience too. The bill died in committee. It didn't even make it to the floor. Yep. So it wouldn't have mattered if you had all 150 reps, all 31 senators committing to vote for it. Yep. It literally would have made no difference. Yep. And so I, I realized firsthand, yes, you got to go to the committee because those nine people or around nine people are the ones who have complete ability to decide if that bill moves forward or if it doesn't. Yep. So I was sold. I was sold in the method. So that was 2012. So you go into 2013 and now you're much more active in the process. Yes. So what that looked like is I started in the organization, Texas Firearms Freedom. Got it. And I had a website. I had an email list. I had business cards and I showed up at the Capitol and I testified and I put out action alerts. Mm -hmm. Um, And we, I I had an email form actually for people to email, uh, email committee members because that's what I focused on. Not Mm -hmm. just emailing your own rep, it was email committee members. And we had uh, over a thousand emails sent just, uh, just from in a, a few weeks span on the one open carry mm. issue. And unfortunately, what it looked like that year is there were only about, I think there were 10 of us who showed up to testify in favor mm. of open carry at the hearing. Okay. And unfortunately, that wasn't enough to move people's minds. It died in committee, mm-hmm. didn't move out. Uh, but the wonderful thing that did happen that year is at that very committee hearing, I connected with people who still are, are colleagues with me and still are working the fight for liberty. And they're the ones who took me from that level onto the next level and showed me how do you ramp up your activism? Yep. How do you make things happen at a bigger level? Awesome. Awesome. So that's 2013. Mm-hmm. And then... Was it 2015 in which we actually passed open carry? Yes, in it Texas? was. So that was the yes. next session. Right. What did you do from 2013 to 2015? Open carry walks. Okay. And a lot of political party activism. So what kind of what happened at the very end of 2013, 
a lot of people throughout Texas had the same epiphany that I'd had at the end of 2011 of, oh my gosh, we can't just count on everybody else to do this for us. We have to start showing up. Unfortunately, they realized it right at the end of session. Again, after the deadlines had passed, there was nothing they could do to make it past that session. I think it was mid-May. It was too late. Deadlines had passed. But what we did is we actually organized into open carry marches. And as much negative press as that got, I absolutely credit the open carry marches with the passage of open carry legislation Mm. in 2015. And here's why. It kept it in the media. Mm -hmm. Every single week we were in the media. Um, And the the whole idea of the protest was, okay, if you won't let us carry our handguns, even if we have a license, somehow you think that's not okay, fine. We'll just carry our our rifles. rifles because we actually have the ability to do that without even... Even having a license. Yep. Yep. The other thing that happened is we basically said uh, just passing licensed open carry is too little too late. Mm-hmm. We were too invested to just go away and pretend like that was acceptable yep. at that point. And so we rallied and I actually traveled around the state teaching the political party process and took dozens of brand new delegates to to the through the convention process all the way to the state convention, which is a huge investment. I mean, yep. you're there all week. They were there all week at the committee hearings, at the committee meetings, and we got constitutional carry. Um, it was already in the platform. We got it as a legislative priority. We made history. That was the very first legislative priority. So we had to sell them not only on creating this thing of legislative priorities, mm-hmm. which they'd never heard of, and everybody was a little uh, unsure what was happening, but also making this be the one, the first, the one and only mm-hmm. legislative priority. And we did it overwhelmingly. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it, it's interesting when you go back into the conversations that happen around guns, mm-hmm. right? And so I remember when uh, Jerry Patterson, and I don't remember it because I was, I don't even know if I was alive at the point in time in which we passed this. I probably was, but I was like, I don't know, four or five in North Carolina at the time. But um, Jerry has shared these stories and you can go back and look on the record at the debates that happened when we passed CHLs, right? The concealed handgun license laws. Right. And you literally had individuals saying, you know, if we pass this, there will be shootouts at every four-way stop sign in Texas. Yep. Right? I mean, that was, I think, one of the more, yep. uh, more, more memorable lines that was used uh, to describe the unintended consequences of passing CHLs. And the thing that I think is so interesting is that the gun control movement literally relies on people's ignorance in every one of their statements, mm-hmm. right? So you pass mm-hmm. CHLs and it's, oh my gosh, this is what's all going to happen. And then when you're going to pass open carry, oh, here's everything that's going to happen. And it's amazing because we, Texas has never led the way, meaning we've never done something that wasn't already legal in other states. Exactly. And so when we are doing something, you can look at all these other states that have done this and said, none of the unintended consequences that you are saying are happening are happening, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, when we talk about gun control, right, don't we usually point to places like Washington, D.C. or Chicago or these areas that are really hammering down on guns and individuals right to possess their firearms and the rising crime rates and the death rates that, you know, that happens in the idea that when you only allow criminals to be empowered and armed, this is what happens, right? So we have actual examples of societies where this happens and they don't subsequently also say, Hey, here are all the States that have open carry or here are all the States that have CHLs. Here are all the States that have constitutional carry and the rampant violence that is constantly happening in the streets as a result of these rights. I exactly. just think that's an 
it's so interesting to me the fear that drives even the Republican legislators around these policies, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. So sometimes, sometimes what I'll say when I'm talking to folks who aren't quite sure about passing these these issues, I'll say, okay, so there are currently, well, right now there are currently 16 states that have full constitutional carry. Yes. And I'll say, so so what do you feel like are the 16 most dangerous states in the U.S.? Can you name those for me? And then we go through and we realize that those are the states that actually uh, have the most restrictive gun laws, mm-hmm. the ones that are the most dangerous. And, I'll, and I'll, yeah, and so that, that kind of helps prove the point. Yes. But if I could for just a minute, just back up. People ask yep. me a lot of times who who believe in gun rights but aren't invested in this. They'll say, okay, what is, what is open carry? What is constitutional yep. carry? What's the difference? So think of it this way. Um, you have open or concealed, and that means you, you either carry where you can see the gun or you carry where you can't see the gun. Yep. So open carry, you can see it. Concealed carry, it has a shirt over it or something. Yep. Okay. Either of those can happen. A state can allow either one of those with or without a license. So you can imagine a graph there. So un, you can have licensed. Right now, Texas has licensed concealed carry and open carry. Constitutional carry means you can do both of those things without a license. So no permit required. You can have your gun on you, either open or concealed, either see it or don't see it. Some states have kind of a mix. So some states will say, okay, if you have a license, you can carry whatever way you want. If you don't have a license, you can carry as long as we can see it. Or one of them says, as long as we can't see it. And just to break it down, uh, there are currently 45 states that allow licensed open carry. So if you have a license, you can let people see your gun. Texas was the 45th state. <laughs> and that's pathetic. Yeah, that's it's, it's embarrassing. Really embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Okay? There are about 31 states that allow carry of a gun with no license as long as they can see it. So that's unlicensed open carry. 31 states. Texas is not on that list. Mm. Um, there are 16 states that will allow you to either open or conceal no license required. Texas is not on that list. It's just, it's pathetic. Yeah. Texas needs to catch up. So, and, and uh, a point, my question in constitu- constitutional carry is um, people who would not be able to legally obtain a license could not this could not legally carry even unlicensed. Does that correct? Does that make sense? So it's what it's uh, uh, meaning if you can legally carry. purchase a gun. Yes, you can legally carry. Yeah, it's gun, tied to right? gun ownership. It's absolutely yep. tied to gun ownership. Um, and and there's this falsehood that's being spread sometimes about oh this would let criminals carry. Yeah. And every time I hear that, I just respond by saying no, actually it wouldn't. Have you read the bill? The bill says if you aren't allowed to own a gun, you can't constitutionally carry. It yep. also says if you are breaking any other law besides a class C traffic misdemeanor, you can't carry. Therefore, yep. and I tell them this bill actually keeps the criminals from carrying. Yep. And they look back at me and they say, well, no, a law can't keep a criminal from carrying. And I say that is exactly the point. Yep. They, to the extent that a law can keep criminals from carrying, this bill would actually strengthen those protections, yep. make it even harder for a criminal to carry, to the extent that a piece of paper can make it harder. Yep. But if you agree that, you know what, criminals are going to do what criminals are going to do, and they're going to break the law, then this actually also makes it harder for them to carry out their crimes because it lowers the barriers for the law-abiding citizens to have their guns and to stop the threat when criminals attack. So at what point did you go from volunteer political activist to, um, you know, a full-time political operative within the Second Amendment community? Less than a year ago, actually. This is my first session having the honor and the privilege of being the grassroots gun rights lobbyist, being a registered lobbyist working for gun rights in the Capitol. Awesome. Awesome. Now, 
Um, after the passage of open carry, what, what was the next step in your, in your involvement? Right. So even though the bill that was on the table was, was licensed open carry, we were all fighting for constitutional carry. Correct. We showed up at the, at the hearing and we testified on the bill. We refused to even testify in favor. Uh, The majority of us said, okay, we, yes, let us open carry, but get rid of the license requirements. And they gave us open carry. It's kind of like a negotiation. You get less than you ask for. Um, But we, we continued to fight. And so we reorganized um, and again, went through the political party process, came back in 2017, which was the last session. And we got a hearing for constitutional carry, not only a hearing, but we overwhelmingly uh, supported constitutional carry. We had hundreds of a couple hundred activists showing up in favor of constitutional carry. And it was a glorious day to have have that and, and to let the people speak about how, why this is important to them, how important it is. Yeah. Unfortunately, it also got tied up in committee and it mm-hmm. never made its way to the floor. And in fact, that session, they tried to, if I recall correctly, I mean, Representative Stickland tried to amend constitutional carry onto the open carry led. Do you, do you, isn't that correct? Or they basically said it was not germane is my under, is, is, am I, I mean, I'm literally pulling this out of my memory bank from 2015, but I'm, I remember Jonathan on the floor arguing the germaneness of his constitutional carry bill to the open carry bill. That there was an been, argument around that. Yeah, yes. There there were several amendments proposed, um, including in, in 2015 when that came yes. through. And interestingly <clears throat> enough, there was there was the Dutton Amendment, which yep. you may remember, yep. um, which this is something that, that is a bipartisan issue that I'm going to say that the Democrats actually a lot of times do better yep. than the Republicans on. And this is, this is saying that uh, just the mere presence of gun doesn't make you a threat or you don't have to identify, yes. uh, uh, eliminating the, the probable cause of carrying, uh, for carrying a gun. So an officer can't just say, well, you're carrying a gun, therefore I'm going to stop you and require you to ID because I don't have anything else to nab you on, but I'm going to nab you on that just because I don't like the way you're walking yep. or I don't like the color of your skin or I don't like the whatever, whoever you're associating with. And they care about that because minorities suffer indiscriminately from that. And so they're actually, they actually do a better job of upholding our liberties in that, in that aspect. Yeah. No, absolutely. So I just want to give our listeners uh, a couple quick things. One, Rachel was kind enough to uh, record this conversation with me in the Capitol because she's so busy fighting for your Second Amendment rights that she couldn't uh, break away. So we actually found a little uh, corner office to record this in. If you hear some background yelling, I think we have a couple children of staffers here, which is an awesome homeschooling class in government. Um, but if you do hear any of that, just to give you context to our location, um, as is pertaining to, but it, it's due to the fact that Rachel uh, is here dedicated to Second Amendment issues, and that's going to get us into this session. So I want to take that and kind of bring into the session. So we came into the session again, talking about the fact that Texas doesn't, we're not even good at following other states when it comes to right. uh, protecting their Second Amendment rights. Before this session and before you work for Gun Owners of America, you did spend some time working at the Republican Party of Texas. Can you give the listeners some background on what you did while you were there and maybe some of the things you're excited about when it comes to the party's involvement on the Second Amendment issue? Exactly. So for several years, well, as I mentioned, starting in 2012, I became active again in the party and and, uh, became even more active in the party process uh, around 2014. Not only going to conventions as a delegate, but being involved in their quarterly board meetings and mm-hmm. what they're actually doing to promote the platform. And I realized that there is basically no action. Mm. Um, I, I assisted with work on creating the Legislative Priorities Committee, which was tasked with helping implement the legislative priorities. Mm-hmm. So, like for the first time, this is actually a thing that the party said, "Hey, let's let's do let's take action to to try to implement some of the things that grassroots had asked for." 
Um, and then in 20, uh, 2017, actually, uh, there was a vacancy in chairmanship. And so Chairman Dickey was elected yep. first then uh, after a super quick two-week campaign. And he actually hired me one of his first days days in office, the first Monday in office, to come and fill a vacated position. And so yeah. I, w- I was the operations director of the Republican Party of Texas. Got it. So assisted with uh, with things such as administrative things like scheduling, but also did a lot with legislative action because I realized there was there was literally no staff assigned to work on the platform, to work on the mm. priorities. And so it was my privilege to be able to step in and fill some of that during special session. We had briefings with legislators. Um, we put out fact sheets about all of the special session call items that related to priority to platform items. We testified. It was, it was really glorious to be able to be involved in that with the party. You know, we've had James on the podcast. He was, uh, I think, our second or third interview. Mm-hmm. But you and I probably both share an appreciation for for his willingness to engage on the policy issues because um, he is uh, probably in the Capitol working on the priorities more than any chairman in recent history has been. Sure. And I think that's a real testament to, you know, the the grassroots showing it to be a priority and then asking for it to be a priority and then looking at the fruit that that has borne from the party being willing to at least show up more and engage more on some of these issues. I think sure. that's, that's definitely a definitely a helpful thing to have. So you had an exit from the Republican Party of Texas that uh, was, by most people's view, not of your own doing. You want to just kind of give us some brief context into sure. what happened there? Yeah. So after a year, I was actually fired from the party. It was right after the last state convention. Uh, leading up to that convention, uh, we'd seen we'd seen some horrific acts of violence here in the states. Yes. Um, there was the Santa Fe attacks, Sutherland Springs. Um, and kind of leading out of that, we saw the governor's uh, firearm and school safety action plan mm-hmm. um, that included some ideas that were very contrary to liberty. The, yep. I and many others had major concerns about, including red flag type gun confiscation yep. laws, including many others. Um, and so I was, I was vocal about that in, 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 uh, lining up with our platform. Yep. Um, and can we quickly give listeners, sure. uh, con- uh, context to what a red flag law sure. is? So, sure. so our governor, uh, after several acts of violence that criminals, um, you know, uh, enacted here in the state came out. And one of the things he promoted as a policy was the idea of a red flag law. Yes. I, I think that's, I don't think anybody would dispute that statement. No, correct? That's, that's correct. Okay, so so tell our listeners, what is a red flag law? Red flag law is a means of taking away people's firearms or prohibiting them from possessing firearms when there's no, uh, no not even probable cause of a crime having been committed, mm-hmm. no accusation of a crime being committed, um, no medical diagnosis of mental incompetency with, with due process in, in there. None of that's in place. It's let's take away the guns first and and then think about this later. So uh, is it oh, what is, what what am I thinking of the Tom Cruise movie? Oh, come on. I probably shouldn't bring up a movie that I can't remember the title of that <laughs> has everything to do with, uh, you know, seeing a crime and, and solving it before it's committed. But I'm going to look it up. Actually, I'm going to find my yeah. phone and, and look it up. But the, but the point being that the idea behind a red flag law is that. Prior to somebody committing an act of violence with a gun, if we can take the gun away from them, then they can't commit that act of violence. Is that, am I doing it justice in the general right. idea that, of the that's policy? The, that's the concept. It, it's like, let's let's keep people safe by getting rid of, uh, by, by taking away their guns. Um, and 
but but what it does is it it tries to spread a wider net. It tries to spread a wider net of take away guns from more people in the hope that we actually got the right gun away from the from the right person. Yes. Now he can no longer commit this violent attack with that gun that he legitimately yes. owned. Maybe he can also maybe he can go do it with some other weapon. Yep. He can do it with some other stolen gun or improperly acquired gun. But that's what it is. And yeah. I, I just in principle, I I completely oppose that approach. That's yep. it's unconstitutional. It's wrong. It's it's blatant violation of our rights. Instead, we should be approaching the issue from saying from recognizing that evil is always going to exist. Mm-hmm. You know, we all want to feel safe. We want to be safe. And it feels really great a lot of times to say, you know, if only somebody else could take care of us and I didn't have to fight, you know, and it's, it's very easy for people to say, you know, if only the government could take care of us and make sure that nobody, none of these attacks ever happened again, you know, never again. Mm-hmm. But in reality, evil will always exist. People with evil motives will exist and they will find a way for carrying out their evil plans. Mm-hmm. And the best that the government can do is to reduce the prohibitions and reduce the barriers for law-abiding citizens to be able to carry their guns as a self-defense tool uh, so that in the hopes that next time evil rears its head, some good guy with a gun will be there to stop the threats and so, mitigate the harm. So uh, I think everyone generally agrees that uh, the governor or his team or somebody affiliated with them more or less requested that you not continue to work at the party. I mean, I know that's been said. By yes, a lot actually, I was I was told when I was fired, I was told the governor said it was not acceptable for me to work there, given my stances uh, for gun rights. Yep. And, and this is another point to kind of bring into the discussion about the fact that not only is Texas not on the forefront ever leading when it comes to expanding your Second Amendment rights. And when I say expanding, I just mean recognizing the right that exists. So we already know the second amendment gives you this right. Right. The state of Texas has decided you don't really have your second amendment, right? Like we're going to regulate it. We're going to oversee it. We're going to limit it to only these people. Uh So we're already saying we don't really fully recognize your second amendment rights as they exist. And all we're trying to do is repeal that infringement. And so as we're trying to say, Hey, other States have recognized their citizens rights Mm -hmm. and have fully recognized those rights to the point that those citizens are able to practice their second amendment where they see fit in a way that they determine is best to defend themselves. Texas not only has gone there, but now we have a leader that's coming out saying, hey, I think some more gun control measures might be appropriate when it comes to this situation. And and, and in, a, in a way that infringes on someone's individual liberties, because we're literally, in a sense, claiming that somebody is guilty of something prior to ever committing a crime. Right. And that now you don't have a Second Amendment right, not based on the fact that you've done something wrong, based on the fact that we think you might do something wrong. Right. And and the, the red flag gun confiscation proposals are, are a blatant violation of that. They absolutely step on that. But even the requirement to have a permit to carry a gun, that also is a guilty until proven innocent approach. So personally, I think that the unintended consequence of you leaving the party has been a benefit to Second Amendment activists because you were picked up by Gun Owners of America. So why don't you talk to me about Gun Owners of America, why you're excited to work for them, and what your time with them has has been like. Absolutely. So simply put, Gun Owners of America is the no-compromise gun lobby. And they've been active, uh, particularly at the congressional level, very active since 1975. So they're a long-standing organization. They have an outstanding reputation. Um, And I'm privileged to be the very first person on the ground in Texas uh, working for your gun rights. I'm, I'm able to to be in the Capitol day in and day out talking about your right to keep and bear arms. And just it's been an absolute privilege. I, I, I get to do the thing that I'm so passionate about that so many Texans actually care about also. 
So this session, um, why don't you tell our listeners, and I want to get to constitutional carry in a second, and this episode will, of course, air on Monday. This is Friday, and there is a whole lot of news when it comes to constitutional carry. Before we get to constitutional carry, can you talk about any other laws that you're looking at, either ones you're concerned about or ones that you think would be a potential benefit to Second Amendment? Um, activists. Right. So, I mean, the, the major ones that would be a, a great benefit, not only constitutional carry, but also what I believe is the only, uh, the best school safety bill. It was actually fired, filed by Senator Hall, SB 202146, 20, uh, and it would it would allow anybody with a license to carry to carry inside of a school mm. concealed. It extends campus carry to K through 12 schools. Got it. Completely common sense. Uh, unfortunately, there's this whole attitude of fear and of, yep. oh, you know, we, we can't do that because somehow when you step across that door of the school, everything changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and all that changes is it disarms law-abiding citizens. So there's that, which yep. apparently is predetermined not to move uh, from from all appearances. So then there, there are the other laws. Uh, there are the, the bills that are moving. Uh, that I'm actually very concerned about. So so here's the deal. I think after all of us showed up last summer and completely shut down the red flag proposals, mm-hmm. uh, leadership realized uh, it all all across Texas, it was pretty plain that the gun people are not going to stand for a red flag law. Like, mm-hmm. you just cannot introduce that into Texas. Yep. That's political suicide. And, and that's when Dan Patrick even came out and uh-huh. said, hey, this is dead on arrival in the Senate. That was just saying, hey, mm -hmm. I'm getting a lot of pressure. Other Republican senators definitely don't have the appetite. You're not going to see that. That was within an hour or two after the hearing finished, at which we had about 75 percent people in opposition to red flag. So that really made a difference. So absolutely. So what they're doing instead is saying, oh, we don't want to take your guns away from you. We're not we're not taking anybody's guns away. What they're trying to do is something I think is honestly more insidious. They're trying to control the way that Texas thinks about guns. Hmm. They're trying to play into the the bits of fear that already exist. Hmm. And they're, they're trying to play up particularly on the gun storage issue. They're trying to play up the fact that they believe guns don't have any legitimate purpose. Therefore, the best place for your gun is locked up away where nobody else can access it and you can't even access it. And that just, it's, it's, it's repulsive. So can you tell me any Republicans who seem to be supportive of this idea? Yeah, I can tell you the one who voted in favor of that bill in the committee and allowed it to move through last week. Uh, on Tuesday, they had a meeting of Homeland Security, and uh, this bill passed uh, by a vote of five to four, and the one Republican that voted for is Representative Clardy. So Representative Clardy voted for, can you can you say yes. which bill it is, yes. bill number? Because I'm sure we'd have sure. some gun activists who would love to make some calls to the HB, It was HB 316. Okay. And again, it doesn't mandate that all yes. your guns get taken away. And this is this is the insidious part of it. It, it, it's, it, it provides taxpayer-funded public awareness campaign. <laughs> um, it includes not, not only DPS, but health and human services and open-ended other governmental agencies uh-huh. get to control the messaging. And it's supposed to be a, an awareness campaign about firearm safety and suicide prevention. But every single witness who testified for it made it really clear that the messaging of this is, OK, so you're not required by law to always keep your guns locked up, you know, multiple locks all the time. But really, if you're a smart person, if you're a wise gun owner, that's what you're going to do. Yeah. That's the message. And it would be government taxpayer dollars saying uh-huh. that. So this isn't a exactly. private, this isn't Moms Demand Action or any other group, private group saying, hey, this is what we believe will lead to a safer place. This yeah. is the government stating this yes. is going to keep our society safer, which yes. would literally be Texas taxpayer dollars uh-huh. paying yes. for the 
you know, the stating of uh-huh. those messages. Yes, and there are so many Republican legislators that are just feeling the attack um, and, and feeling like, uh, j- just from the barrage of people pushing for this. Mm. And they're starting to say, well, you know what, maybe we have to accept this. You know, we're not going to take away your guns. We're not going to do red flag, but maybe we should just do this. It's exactly playing into the gun control playbook. Mm-hmm. And, and they're getting worn down. And they're also starting to say, well, you know, I mean, gun safety is important and storing your guns safely is important. Maybe this is a good idea. Here's the deal, y'all. Gun safety is important. Uh, but part of that is you need to have a gun on you in order to save your life potentially, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. responsibly. That's part of it. It's gun usage. It's 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 knowing how to safely use a gun, not just how to keep it locked up so you can't get to it. And that's the issue. It's also st- safe storage is not a one size fits all scenario. Mm. The government has no place mandating how guns should be stored. Yep. And I think that was that was the uh, when red flag laws or uh, not even just the red flag laws, I think there were a couple other policies that were being pushed last session. I remember the Freedom Caucus coming out with a very, uh, it might not have been an official statement. I think Matt Schaefer kind of tweeted it out and the number of other legislators started tweeting a simple thing that said, the government has no business telling you how to store your guns, right? Exactly. Which is a pretty fundamental statement that I would think that most Texans, not only conservatives, but independents and, and, and just independent-minded Texans would say, yeah, no, the government has no business telling me how and where to store my gun. So let's get to constitutional carry now because, um, so some news has come out. Why don't you give everyone kind of your, uh, perception on, uh, the, the changes and just, so I set the stage a little bit. Representative Stickland, um, filed constitutional carry. This is his, uh, this is, you know, a thing that he has filed multiple sessions in a row and been an advocate for. He believes that Texas, uh, should stop being last when it comes to, uh, its, recognition of, of the second amendment. And so, um, that legislation though has been delayed, right? And Dennis Bonin appointed a Democrat to chair the committee. I think most of us knew that that bill was dead the day he announced a Democrat chairman. Um, and the bill has simply sat in committee. And so, um, representative Stickland came out with a statement and I I don't have it in front of me, but he essentially said that he's not going to play political theater with this legislation and that if the legislation even receives a hearing at this point in the session, it's so late that we know that even if the Democrat chairman moved it out and even if it got to calendars and even if it went out, that it's not going to become law this session. So why ask all the gun activists across the state to come in and tell a Democrat chaired committee why they should recognize our Second Amendment rights when we know that it would be theater at that point. So he has removed his request for a hearing saying this is just not moving anywhere. And we need to recognize that and we need to continue the battle. So kind of with that context, can you please tell listeners what you know about it and and what your views are on this? Absolutely. So so I absolutely agree that because leadership is at Speaker Bonin even came out with a media statement. Um, He told media that he opposes constitutional carry. And I've already been saying that if leadership wanted constitutional carry to pass, it would pass, but that was the only path. Um, For the past couple of weeks, we've been past enough deadlines where that was the only path for HB 357 to pass. Now we have that clear statement from him. It's obvious 
there is no clear path for it passing. Yep. And if they were to hold, if they were to schedule a hearing in the middle of April or late April, that would absolutely be political theater. And I don't want to tell my folks who are willing to drop everything yep. and sacrifice multiple days of, of pay, um, take vacation or take off work, drive in, spend the night somewhere. It's a huge sacrifice. Yeah. And I have hundreds of people who absolutely would have done that. It would be wrong for me to yeah. tell them and give them that hope of, hey, you guys all have to come in here and testify for this hearing that we know is not going to go anywhere because Speaker Bonin obviously has said he doesn't want it to pass. And so. Pancho Navarro is a Democrat. I mean, I mean, a, a Democrat who carries and who has a gun, sure. but not a Democrat who he's wants a, to see us pass constitutional carry. He's a gun guy, but not a rights guy. That's right. And that's that's the case with a lot of people, hmm. Democrats and Republicans. Yeah. Gun guy. Sure. I have guns I like to go to the range. I'm not going to take away our guns from you. But nah, I don't really believe in your rights to carry. You should yeah. have to go through hoops. So yes, exactly. And so let's get this straight. Uh, the committee chairman, every committee chairman has sole authority yep. to schedule a hearing or not schedule a hearing for a bill, to put it on for a hearing, to put it on for a vote. That is completely in their lap as far as authority goes. However, who appoints the committee chair? Well, it's the speaker who appoints them in the House. Mm -hmm. And they can actually resend appointments and reappoint different people. Yep. So if he actually cared about this and if he went and talked to the chairman and said, I really want you to give this a hearing and he actually refused, there are plenty of ways he could go about making it happen. Yep. And that's why I keep on emphasizing it goes back to top leadership um, at, at this point. Yep. That would be the only key to passing it. He said no. So yeah, I, I also I agree with refusing to participate in political theater. I don't want them to use us for entertainment. We've got better things to do. And here's the deal. We're not giving up fighting for constitutional carry yep. or fighting for our rights, but we realize there are better ways that we can spend our time right now more effectively yep. instead of being their entertainment for, for useless purposes for us. So if you are somebody out there who's a gun person but not actively involved in the fight uh, in some way, what are a couple things that that person could do to further engage? I mean, if you were to give people, I'm sure you've done this before, but if you were to give people two, three, four different things that they could do, and maybe not just specifically on guns, even just being an activist, right? You're somebody who came from... I'm just hanging around, have my own life to worry about, to actively involved in the Republican process, to making changes at a party level, to now affecting policy yeah. on a statewide level. And, and that path happened in a, in a pretty short timeline. And that's one yeah. of the things I enjoy when in all of our conversations. We had a conversation with Aaron Harris and you and other mm -hmm. people who, you know, three, four, five years ago were just an activist talking to a couple people, showing up to some meetings, and now we're having, in my opinion, a pretty major impact on policy and the political process in Texas. So what are some pieces of advice that you'd have for people who want to start getting more engaged? What are some things they can do? Absolutely. So first, I need to say that grassroots activism today is different than it was a decade ago or a couple of decades ago. Um, back then, only a few emails or phone calls would actually be enough to make a difference. Mm. Um, now there are so many grassroots lobbying organizations or so many professional lobbyists who actually uh, put out grassroots action alerts and make it very easy for anybody to just go click a button and email gets sent. Yep. That just sending a flood of emails is not enough anymore yep. to do to make substantial change happen. And I know what I'm asking is a sacrifice, but if you really care about an issue, you kind of have to be here in person. I'm not saying you have to live at the Capitol or live in Austin, but you got to pick at least one or two days to come down here in person, um, preferably for a committee hearing, testify in a committee hearing. Um, we'll talk a second about how to do that. If you can't do that, uh, one of the best things you can do is actually call your legislator's office, uh, their capital office or their district office right there 
hopefully fairly close to where you mm -hmm. live, at least not as far away as Austin, ask for a meeting with your representative. Go in and have specific issues, preferably specific bill numbers that you want them to support. Have some reasons. Be You don't have to be an expert on the subject. You do have to have some reason to present and preferably a personal story about how this affects you. That is, I believe, the best way to do activism these days. And, and to make it more effective, you also connect with other organizations. So if you want to connect with Gun Owners of America, go to gunowners.org slash alerts. That's gunowners.org slash alerts. And you can sign up for our free email alerts. And we'll let you know not just when you can send an email, but, but I'm sending out emails letting you know when you can show up, when it's going to be most effective. And other issues you care about, connect with people who are doing the boots on the ground work. The people who are telling you when you can show up for something. They don't just want your money, they want your boots on the ground. Those are the organizations to connect with. Um, Rachel, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having this conversation. I think it's always an encouragement to people who uh, see getting involved in the political process as a large, they see so many barriers to entry when it comes to their impact that they could have. Um, I think it's a, I think it's powerful to be able to tell different stories of individuals who at one point were just somebody who was living their life like any other normal Texan yeah. and years later are, are making a pretty big impact. The last thing I have is just on the election process, because within a couple months, we're going to be back into the election process. I mean, do you feel like currently in the legislature, we have enough legislators who have a pro gun rights perspective as opposed to just a pro gun perspective currently? A absolutely not. We, we've seen uh, pathetic stances for gun rights already this session. Uh, we need more people with a backbone who will actually stand up and say, no, we're not going to give an inch. No, we don't have to compromise with you. We're not going to give in to, to your playbook. This right still matters. Yep. Rachel, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to tell our listeners before we end this conversation? I want to tell them you actually can make a difference, whether it's changing law or pushing back, even just a little bit of pushing back, even if you feel like your bill didn't pass, that standing up and speaking out matters. Don't let it be said that gun control happened on your watch without you standing up and saying something. Um, and the last piece of advice I'll give is if you don't know who your state representative or state senator mm -hmm. is, I mean, go online, yeah, look Google it up, it. reach uh -huh. out to them, reach out to their district office, go meet with their district director. When the session ends, go meet with the legislator. Say, I want to know what your position is yeah. on the Second Amendment. Here's my position. Mm -hmm. Here's my concern. I want to know... I want you to know that you have constituents that care about these issues and really start to make an impact. And even to your point, I think we're in desperate need of more and more men and women who understand the gun rights issue. And I think yeah. they need to be seeking out public office, whether that's on the state level or the local level. I think people need to be evaluating those ideas and saying, you know what, if there aren't enough people in the Capitol doing this, then we need more men and women advocating. And it is embarrassing. I mean, Texans should be embarrassed when it comes to oh, yeah. our Second Amendment laws. Um, and when we really fully take a step back and look at other states, it really causes concern and embarrassment as a Texan over how pathetic our gun laws are. So thank you for your time. Thank you so much for all your activism. Thank you for all the work that you're doing at Gun Owners of America. And I hope that our listeners go to gunowners.org forward slash alerts and get engaged and get um, even active here in the last six weeks. If it's not to advance a, a bill like constitutional carry at a minimum, it is to kill dead as a doornail any legislation that in any way starts to further impede your Second Amendment rights. Exactly. So appreciate you coming on, Rachel. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I was really grateful for Rachel's willingness to come and sit down. Um, 
she is somebody who I have just witnessed be a pretty um, significant player within the Second Amendment activists in the Capitol. She's someone who other people respect. Um, she can work with multiple different groups on multiple sides of different issues, and she's there to advocate on your behalf. If you're somebody who appreciates your Second Amendment rights, you should be very grateful that Rachel is in the Capitol every single day. Guys, we've got to continue to engage, and I think Rachel's story points out the fact that somebody can go from not even owning a gun to within several years being a leading voice and making a big difference on the Second Amendment issue. So I want to encourage each and every one of you, whether it's the guns or, or something else out there. If there's an issue out there that you care about, um, engage on it. Uh, reach out to your lawmakers on it. Get involved in the party and look at what the party platform says about it. Make an effort to reform what the party platform says about it so that we can reshape the discussion on issues that you care about. Um, Raz was not able to, to join us this morning, um, but uh, he's continuing to be out there fighting for liberty, and this is going to be a crazy week at the Capitol, so I'm going to be in the Capitol almost every single day. Um, there's a lot going on, as y'all heard in the intro, um, but just want to encourage each and every one of y'all to stay very alert over the next six weeks because your liberties are at stake, and fundamental principles that Republicans have previously held dear will be at stake, and it's going to be very important for each and every one of you to engage. If you haven't gone to LukeMacias.com, visit that, um, put, put in your email uh, there. Um, if you're running for office, please reach out, uh, MacciasStrategies.com. Of course, we're continuing to gear up for the 2020 elections, and a shameless plug would be that we... Um, We'll still be very picky with who we work for. We're only working for conservative individuals who are dedicated, not just Republicans, but conservatives who are dedicated to limiting government in whatever way that they end up um, serving in. And so we're going to continue to gear up, and we've been rolling out a couple campaigns here and there over the last several weeks, and we will be rolling out several more um, as the months continue. Guys, we've got a lot of work. Um, I'm grateful for each and every one of you who've been listening to this show. Please continue, uh, consider following me on Twitter. Um, like I said, put your email there in lukemacias.com and we'll email you the weekly episode when it comes out. Appreciate everything y'all are doing. God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Luke Macias Show. If you value this content and want our message to spread, please consider three of the following steps. One, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and leave us a review. Two, visit lukemacias.com and sign up for our email alerts. And three, follow Raz and I on Twitter and visit my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Thank you so much and God bless.